Here we are with a very special episode of Norm Nathan's Vault of Silliness. It hails from December 10th, 1993, and is appropriately titled, It's Shearing You're Hearing. We begin with Carol Stein Kraus, the PR manager from Parker Brothers, talking about the company and its games. There's lots of cool info about Trivial Pursuit and Monopoly, plus company history, challenges, and more. Next is an absolutely fantastic interview with George Shearing. He was appearing at Scullers in the Guest Quarters Suite Hotel. The talk is so varied, everything from classical influences and relations to jazz, sissy accents, great stories, and lots of silliness from George. And it all gets even better when Ellie Shearing, George's wife, joins the fun. They also take calls. Bob in Boston with the call that stirs up Norm's ire. Janet from Arlington loves George's pairings with Mel Torme, and her husband, Les, is Norm's piano teacher. Scott in Provincetown, who does a jazz show, Lush Life, from 6 to 9 Saturday nights on WOMR 91.9 FM. It's a volunteer community radio station in Provincetown. We hear from Hank, Pete and Lawrence, and Bob in New Hampshire, with quite the description regarding his feelings about missing the chance to talk to George. Other extras for your dining and dancing pleasure. Norm reading the weather. Top and bottom hour news sounders. Daryl Gould intros Jack Hart for traffic. And Norm is seriously thinking about the need to redo shows. We can't leave out the commercials. Norm does a read for the National Credit Group. It's okay to tell Norm about your bad credit because he is a doctor. And if you'd like to remove all your clothes, Frank and Shirley for the new Westboro Antique and Flea Market. Marazine with the former highly disoriented Linda Kern. The Club, now available in designer colors. ADT Home Security, the red and chafed Jim Brown of Grand Prairie, Texas for Gold Bond. Classic Ovaltine with Paul Rossi drinking it live from Valley Stream, New York and a brief sprinkle of Baby Goldbond. Oh, make sure you listen closely to the end of the interview with George as he gets the last laugh. Episode 116, It's Shearing You're Hearing, tickles its way to your auditory canals. Now. What kinds of stuff for ideas and Christmas gifts and that kind of stuff. And of course, Parker Brothers has been in business since... Uh, the earth was a molten lava. I, I cannot imagine the world before Parker Brothers. Well, well, maybe not quite that long, but we've been in business since 1883. That's not bad, considering most businesses fold after the first year. Uh, and uh, are you, do you still have a plant up in Salem? Yes, we continue to do uh, some operation from our Salem plant, but most of it is done out in Springfield. Hey, you have such a cute, adorable voice. You sound like one of the little kids buying one of the games. Are you really the PR manager? Are you Are you his daughter? I, I'm an imposter. No, I am the PR manager for Parker Brothers. <laughs> okay. And, of course, Trivial Pursuit is your game. I, I would think just putting that out would be enough to make everybody retire for life. Oh, we wish it was that way, but there's so much business out there and so much competition out there. But Trivial Pursuit continues to be one of our best-selling games. And you, you're putting out new... Uh, new cards and stuff, updating the uh, Trivial Pursuit game? Yes, every year we come out with a new edition, whether it's a, a master edition, which is the full game, or a card set. And this year we did something very unique. 
And we came out with an all-American edition of Tavu Pursuit. And what we did was we solicited questions from the American public and said, hey, you know, you guys have been so faithful to us for 10 years. You guys have so much trivia, your trivia buffs. Give us your favorite trivia question. And we composed the game of those questions. Oh, that's nice. And, of course, Monopoly is... Uh is a, kind of a synonym for Parker Brothers. When did Monopoly first come on? I, we played Monopoly when I was a kid, and I'm already 250 years old now, so that that had to be one of the first games, was it? I was going to say, are you giving away your age now? Uh, 1935. Well, 1935. So in, 19, in 1995, we'll be celebrating the 60th anniversary. Oh, I was kind of hoping, hoping you'd say it came out in 1890 or something like that. No, no, 1935. And again, I mean, Monopoly is, like you said, you, you think of Monopoly, you think of Parker Brothers, you think of Parker Brothers, you think of Monopoly. I don't know if there's a household out there that doesn't have a, a Monopoly game. And what we've done to make that popularity continue is come out with a junior version of Monopoly and a, and a video version of Monopoly to make sure that everyone has something, something to play with and to bridge the generation gap a bit. And you said, you, as you pointed out, Monopoly will be 60 years old in 95. Uh, Is there some big kind of celebration where you will actually go to Atlantic City and buy Boardwalk or do something dramatic like that? I don't know. I don't know why I asked you. That's the most stupid question. <laughs> no, it, it's not really because we are working on the plans for the 60th anniversary. I've actually had two meetings in the last two weeks regarding that. Um, we have, we have um, our national monopoly championship will be held in 1995, and we have a world championship being held in 1996. So there are definitely some special events planned. And there are right through the years. They have been championships, haven't there? Monopoly. Yes, um, we probably do about 250 local Monopoly tournaments a year, and those are tournaments by organizations um, who raise money for charity. And based on that, we get, um, you know, a champion from every state, and that champion goes on to the national, and the national winner goes on to the world championship. And in 1992, that was held in Berlin, Germany. When, when, uh, when the whole electronics thing came along with uh, electronic games and that, kind of stuff. Did, uh, did that affect Parker Brothers very much? I would, I, I would think it must have affected most everybody. It did in some ways, and actually I was just reading an, an industry piece and saying that even though that the electronic um, industry and the technology is continuing to move forward, it doesn't directly affect the board game or toy industry. Um, again, because there's so many people who who aren't into that high technology, even though we think it's all around us, some people still want the traditional board games. But as I mentioned, we have adapted some of our games to video, Sega, and Super Nintendo, and we continue to look to the CD-ROM and CDI. Yeah, well, I guess you have to look at that. I guess I, I don't. I don't know whether it's because I'm from an older generation, but the, the sitting around a table with a board game seems to me a whole lot more fun and kind of just kind of comfortable than worrying about the, your computers and playing games that way. I must say, I tend to agree with you. It is more interactive. And studies have found, and it's not necessarily as so for 1993, but I know in 1992, that during uh, economic times where there is a recession or where it's the economy is not as strong, board games tend to be more popular. And also, the Clintons are big board game players. Um, are they? Yes. Bill Clinton, actually, his favorite game is Trivial Pursuit. 
So I think that probably has had some effect on the country also. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to put him on and his family on national television playing a trivial pursuit against, I don't know, somehow to see him fall down, for example, and miss like the capital of Utah. I mean, would be, would, maybe that would demoralize the entire country. Maybe, maybe we better forget my idea. Well, he has admitted, I think Diane Sawyer did a, a piece on Primetime Live, um, and he was telling Nashville, and she said, what are you going to do your last night in, not Nashville, sorry, Little Rock? And he said, I don't know, walk around the neighborhood, see my friends, play Trivial Pursuit. Really? Yeah, oh, so it's definitely good. up there as far as priorities. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. No, I think that's a nice thing. What if, now, what about something brand new? What is the newest thing that uh, that is totally away from, say, Trivial Pursuit of Monopoly? We have a game called Snardbark. 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 And uh -huh. Snardbark is for ages five and up. And it is a, a creature, it's a yellow creature with pink dots. And he has a three-foot-long tongue. So the object of the game is you pull out the snorbox tongue, and you have little snorts, these, these little creatures. And the object mm -hmm. of the game is to get your snorbox off his tongue before he snaps you into his mouth. It's a battery-operated machine. <laughs> and, as, and as you move, his tongue moves into his, into his mouth. It's quite interesting. It's, it's really, it's, it ranks number four in the Duracell toy test. Oh, uh, really? Now, how, do you, how do you get ideas for toys? Are they mostly freelance people who suggest things to your company, or do you have a staff of wild thinkers sitting around in some airless room dreaming up these gimmicks? It, it, it is a combination of both. Uh, we do have a whole group of, of people in our company. We have preliminary, we have product development, we have acquisition department, we have folks down in the model shop. Everyone is working toward a common goal, and that's to develop some games. So we do do a, most of our resourcing internally, but we also have some of the inventors that we've been working with over the last 110 years that help us develop our products. Now, uh do you, do you distribute your games worldwide, and if so, are they, do you, like for example, is there a, is there a, 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 like a Spanish language or Italian language or Russian language version of, uh, say, Trivial Pursuit or some of the others? Trivial Pursuit is actually distributed in, I believe it's in 19 languages in 33 countries. Mm. So we do distribute our games worldwide. We have licensees who distribute our games for us. Uh, Monopoly is in, I believe, 53 languages. So it really, you know, most of our classic games, Monopoly, Trivial Pursuit, are, are done in foreign languages and foreign countries. Okay. We, we have talked through the, uh, through the past, probably the past couple of years, with uh, individual inventors who come up with board games and stuff, and I guess electronic versions of some of their board games. Um, 20 questions. We have... Uh, a man out in uh, the Midwest of Wichita, Kansas, who has come up with Geographacts and various history kind of board games. Are there more of these things? You were talking about competition that Parker Brothers would have. Are more and more people getting into this line Are you that you're aware of? Well, there, there are a lot of ideas out there. We get inundated with requests to look at product and look at games or listen to game ideas every week. 
um, it, it's probably one of the many phone calls that we get. It, it, they, we just get inundated. So, so there are a lot of ideas out there. It's very hard to get into a big company. Um, and because the, because, no, the, because the people I'm talking about have started their own companies and have put their own boards, games, and stuff on the market themselves. Mm -hmm. And I wondered uh, whether this was sort of a new trend. I don't remember that happening, but then again, maybe uh, maybe it did, and I just, I just it, missed it. It did happen. To give you an example, Trivial Pursuit, they had a very hard time launching Trivial Pursuit, the inventors in Canada. It failed miserably at the first toy fair that it was shown at. Hmm. And it was through just trial and error and then just word of mouth that it became popular. Monopoly, we rejected, Parker Brothers rejected Monopoly when it originally was proposed to them because they had 52 fundamental playing errors. And we said, no one's going to want to play this game. And then we mm -hmm. heard people talking about it locally from where the, the inventor was from. And we said, oh, let's look at this again. And, and thank goodness we did. I guess most of the games, what, is, what the basic rule would be, it ought to, you ought to be able to learn the rules without having to take a week off from, from work or school to, to find out how. I remember Ernie Kovacs. Are you, are you aware of him, Ernie Kovacs? He, had a, he was a very, very inventive comedian. Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. And he, on his, one of his early shows, he, used to, he talked about a game, and he went through these complicated rules you know, where in the end you threw a poison dart at your neighbor and you jumped up and shed wahoo and, and went on and on and on and on. And part of the, the, the funny part of the whole thing was uh, just these long, complicated rules. Obviously, that's the kind of thing you have to stay away from. And I, I suppose keep them as simple as possible. I do remember games as a kid where somebody had to almost go to school to take a course at it before you could figure out how to play the thing. I agree. That is one of the main challenges of the industry in a of Parker Brothers is to make sure that you are going to get a, a consumer and they're going to be able to read the directions, understand the gameplay, and be able to play the game without too much effort. Everyone is so short on time these days, or we think they're short on time, and time is of the essence. So you want to make sure you have a game that is easy to understand and easy to play and enjoyable at the same time. Because if time is of the essence, you wonder, does that cut into people who are willing to sit around a table and play a board game? I, I, hope, I, I hope people do that, because that's the way people get, you know, it's, it's lovely to think of families sitting there getting to know each other better by playing games and, and all of that kind of stuff. Have we got to, a, to that kind of a fast-moving society where this is becoming more and more difficult and where the games have to be simpler and played sooner? Because Monopoly still can take quite a long time. Right. That's Parker, that's Parker Brothers' reason for being, is to make sure people are, are sitting around at home playing board games. And that's why we've adopted so many different um, for, um, products into our, in, into our line, is to make sure we have something for everyone out there. Do you test it in any specific market when you have a new idea and a new game, or do you just put it out for general use? We do a lot of field testing. Um, sometimes it's, it's folks at Parker Brothers who have kids um, or, or friends, and we bring those games home to play. We, play, we do play games at work, and we also do some field testing. We do um, testing with kids or daycare groups, so there is an extensive amount of testing for gameplay, but also of quality, of safety, of rules going on. I would think that would be so lovely to be a, a, an inventor of a game. I don't. Maybe it's not as glamorous or as fun as it seems. It's kind of like being a kid forever. It's like being a 
I suppose like being a cartoonist or or something. It's dealing in the world of uh, of anyway of games, which which would seem to be a great deal of fun. Your job sounds like a lot of fun, is it? Or you? you... It is. I I really enjoy my job an awful lot. And Parker Brothers is a is a great company to work for. So I am I am having fun. <laughs> Okay, I don't know why I asked you that. I didn't expect you to come on and say, I hate my job at Parker Brothers. It's like a slave shop. <laughs> but, but anyway, I know you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just joking when I say it. I'm not really joking. I guess I really mean that. But uh, it does sound like a, a fun kind of thing. No, it is. There, there is, because of the, the industry and because we are working on, on games and, and we're working on games for preschoolers, we're working on games for kids, and we're working on games for adults, there's lots of energy there. And, and lots of fun ideas going around. Okay, and the fact that it is Parker Brothers, which has a great international name, uh -huh. uh, there's no problem with distributing your games, so they would be on sale at uh, just about every every place where games are sold. You got it. Okay, that's really nice, which is a whole lot easier than, again, some of these other people I'm talking about who, who are just starting up their own games, which makes it kind of tough. But if you see the name Parker Brothers, I think uh, that's pretty much a, a good selling point, too. Um, trivia. Now, how old is Trivial Pursuit now? It was 10 years in 1992, so 10 years last year. It's on its 11th year. Yeah, there's another game that seems like it's been around forever, but it's a relatively new game then. Yeah, yes, it is, and actually it really brought the adult game category to its peak. I mean, there wasn't really an adult game category. It was either kids or family board games, and Trivial Pursuit broke open that market for everyone else to follow. It's one, I gotta tell you, it's one of my favorite games, too. I really love it, and Monopoly is still fun. Right. I, I wish you good luck on that, and uh, also some of the, all the newer things. I know you're, you're putting tons of newer games on the market all the time, also. And I appreciate uh, you talking with us about it, Carol Stein Krauss. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Have a happy Christmas. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Frank, didn't I tell you you'd have a great time at the new Westboro Antique and Flea Market last Sunday? Frankly, Shirley, I have to admit that you were right this time. In fact, that was incredible. I've never seen so many antiques and collectibles under one roof. Well, Frank, I have a surprise for you. The grand opening of the new Westboro Antique and Flea Market was such a success last Sunday that they're doing it again this Sunday. This Sunday. And every Sunday. Every Sunday. It's New England's best antique and flea market with 150 dealers selling countless antiques, collectibles, and new merchandise dice too and frank did you say something frank i didn't say anything shirley they're gonna have another country western band what another band and lots of food i like food surely you'll work up an appetite while we polish off the last of our holiday shopping shirley shirley don't call me shirley shirley oh, shirley on, you must frankly, be speaking frank, i'm frankly, tired of all the grand opening of the new westboro antique and flea market is this sunday eight to four at the corner of routes nine and 135 call 508-836-3880 that's 508-836 3880. If you suffer from motion sickness, listen to Linda Kern of Lahaina, Hawaii. I get everything that moves sick. Car, air, boat, you name it. I get disoriented, uh, like a lack of balance. I get nauseated, plus I get a, a sick head. It's time you discovered doctor-recommended Marazine. Marazine tablets take the sickness out of travel, help prevent that queasy, nauseous feeling, help treat the dizziness and sickness motion can cause. And it does the trick for me. I just do not get seasick or air sick. Or car sick. Couldn't do it without Marazine. It's part of my life when we travel. I can travel now. And all the different methods without getting sick. Marazine contains a medically proven ingredient no other leading motion sickness tablet has. And Marazine won't cause the marked drowsiness Dramamine may cause. If you want to travel and feel normal, use Marazine. 
Uh, it's really enabled us to do the kind of traveling we've always wanted to do. Marazine, M-A-R-E-Z-I-N-E. Marazine tablets take the sickness out of travel. Use only as directed. Available at all Brooks drugstores. Okay, you're tuned to a WBZ, and I really appreciate it. I mentioned George Shearing will be here live and in person uh, within uh, probably very, very soon. He's uh, playing in a club uh, just around the corner from here, as a matter of fact. And uh, I caught him last night uh, and at the Scholars at the Guest Quarter Suite Hotel, and he just, he just plays magnificently, and it's uh, anyway, it'll be fun to talk with him. A soaking rain overnight, along with a gusty wind, lows 44. Periods of rain and breezy uh, during the day on uh, Saturday. Highs 48. Mostly a cloudy Saturday night with a leftover shower or two and low temperatures about 38. Then the weather gets colder. Sunday will be blustery, colder. Snow flurries are possible, but the temperatures holding steady near about 38. Pretty much like they'll be overnight on uh, Saturday night, right into Sunday about 30. It won't get any warmer than that. And then Monday, mostly cloudy, windy, and cold with high temperatures about 40 degrees. But it's always kind of scary when meteorologists start talking, even snow flurry. Just the word snow in any form makes you, makes you realize that it's getting into winter. I say some of the most stupid things in the world. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could recall all the programs and redo them, you know, like a like an author rewriting. Anyway, do you need, I'm so, I'm going to ask you a personal question. I hope you won't feel offended, but I really feel that we have established a kind of relationship through the years where I can ask you this without you just being totally upset. Do you need Visa, MasterCard, a home or car loan, even a simple checking account, but you can't get them because of unfair credit reporting practices? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can you can tell me I'm a doctor, and if you want to take off your clothes while you're answering, <laughs> I'm not talking about my credit. I know it's it sucks, but I'm talking about others' credits. <laughs> and now you made me lose my place here. In the middle of, I was with a patient here for heaven's sakes. Now I lost my stethoscope and everything. Uh, anyway, call National Credit Group. At, uh, in Boston at 617-536-0639. Home office or telephone appointments available for your convenience. Correct bad credit so you can apply for credit with confidence. Hi. You'll, you'll, first you'll go on like this without any confidence. I have credit, please. Oh, please. But afterwards you'll have confidence. You'll say, hey, give me credit for crying out loud. That's the kind of stuff you get. Call 617. That was acting. I can hear the sales department saying, oh, well, there'll be 17 make goods on this one. 617-536-0639. 617-536-0639. No, but seriously, <laughs> coming up to the news, and then... And then we'll be back with some more stuff, okay? I don't know what kind of stuff, but what the, What do you care? WBZ Boston, 1230. There he is coughing right yeah. into the microphone, which is, this is the kind of program it is, George. We're, we're just off the cuff and just kind of casual. <laughs> I'm so glad to see you again. I was at Scholars last night, where, of course, where you've got one more night to appear. And uh, in the uh, Scholars, which is part of the Guest Quarters Suite Hotel, which is going to be the most awkward, longest title for a hotel in the entire world, but uh, you sounded so nice. Uh, you and uh, is Neil Swainson, Neil Swainson. Yeah. yeah, the bass player, out of Toronto. Yeah, 
Is that... I, I get one Toronto bass player after another for some reason, not. Is is it uh, is it? Uh, I was, I was going to say as a listener, nothing nothing is lacking, despite the fact you don't have, let's say, a drum to, to no, round out no. a trio. It doesn't bother you as a pianist, then? Not at all. He almost seems like your left hand in a way, the way he plays. Yes, well, he does provide a lot of that. I thought I'd say something terribly profound like that, always afraid that the, maybe what I'm saying makes no sense at all. Anyway, but uh, the first time we talked was like back in the... Uh, Do you have the flu coming on? Cause, I hope not. Because I know Sue Eau Claire, who does publicity for the rumors, uh, is kind of has come down with some. I thought maybe you came down with the uh, same thing. Oh, no. No, I hope not. Yeah. What were you saying now? Oh, the first, the first time we talked, I think, was back in the uh, 60s. I was doing an all-night show on another Boston station. Yeah. And, uh, and when, we, when we're playing the record, I'll tell you what that station was, too. It was, oh, it's WHDH. Oh, I'll oh, say it on the air. Yeah, I mean, nobody, oh, listens fine, to, oh, fine. Yeah, nobody listens to them anymore, so we can, we can <laughs> give the call letters. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But you, you had not been here from England too long at that point. If, if, have I got my dates wrong? Well, I came in 47. Oh, okay. So and you I had think been around. maybe you and I must have met before the 60s, might be in the 50s. Somewhere. Yes, yes. I, I think very definitely that's true. Yeah. Uh, I think you're trying to hide my age. Uh, <laughs> no, because no, we're both, we both have been around for a very long time. You're one of the great survivors because in a, in a business where musicians have a tough time earning a living full time and many, uh, many have to take up other occupations. You've been doing it for a lot of years. Uh, I was uh, just saying in the car coming over, I... I've been in the music business for 57 years. Mm. And you've won just about every award there is for musicians to to win. You've done both jazz and you've done classical music. Yeah. And you, you're respected and uh, ad just admired by just about everybody. What 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 else? Are, are there some goals you have or some feelings you have, things you have, you have not, I can't imagine there's anything you haven't done, but is is there something... There is something I haven't really done, and that is, I find in some of the chamber music a great amount of pulse and, and beat, and it seems to me that either that music or something written very much along those lines, I'm speaking specifically of Mozart or maybe some of the Bach, uh, would go very well with a rhythm section. Now, I don't mean drums per se. I mean little hand drums and little hand, you know, cymbals and, uh, and bass and piano. And either small woodwind or woodwind and strings mixed, playing the actual stuff or something written along those lines abiding by most of the rules which were recognized in those days in the Baroque and the, the after, after the Baroque. There was always talk that Bach, for example, when he was writing the, the Cotton and Fugues and all those things, would leave little spaces, uh, sections of the music for the musician, the organist usually, to improvise is is that so? And is that would that be related to jazz or to the kind of stuff you're talking about? Well, in that it is improvisation. It would be related 
not it wouldn't sound like it, but it it is uh, a product of instantaneous creativity, which jazz is. Um, I think that the thing that made improvisation in classical music disappear rather rapidly, never to return or seldom to return. Uh, with the numerous editions that came out, the various ways of playing it according to the philosophy or theory of the particular editor that you happen to be reading. And so since there was so much extant stuff written with variants, uh, improvisation kind of died out in the classical field. Now, you, you have performed with a number of uh, symphony orchestras. You've done that, for, I know, for a number of years. Being sightless, now, how do you, how do you manage to, to, to learn all these things since you cannot read them? Well, do you, do you read, read them? them you read them in mm -hmm. Braille. Then? I read them in Braille. Okay. Or I have somebody put them on a tape for me and play them slowly. I mean, my wife can can do some of that. Ellie can do some of that. And uh, I did a, an album of all Claude Bowling music on Capital or on EMI rather Angel. I mean, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And it was. <clears throat> Angel Romero, Ray Brown, Shelley Mann, and me. And we did a whole suite for guitar and jazz piano by Claude Bowling. Uh, Ellie saw very little of me while I was learning that because it was, oh, a good 40 minutes of music. And it was all original stuff. I mean, there was no tunes or anything to relate to. You can't say, well... Once you know the special melody that was written, it's the cause of chords of Basin Street blues or something. <laughs> they were all; uh, it was all original stuff. Now, was that was that? Uh, <clears throat> now, did you learn that from Braille, or did you oh, learn no, that because it was recorded? No, I learned that for tape. Yeah. And uh, Ellie read some of it to me, and uh, I had a couple of readers in to read it and play it for me. And I think I knew it well enough to kind of direct the session once we got into the studio. Once you can do that, then all the pop stuff that you do, like like the great stuff that you did uh, yesterday when I caught you with Good Morning Heartache and you mm. did uh, The Folks Who Live on the Hill, that's, that must seem like a snap to, to oh, it is. that kind of stuff. It is. As a matter of fact, I've been a little scared of my memory. It's still very good, but... Once in a while, I will have a memory lapse when I'm playing Mozart, so I don't do that anymore. Um, Ellie detected it one night. I came off the stage, and she said, did you have a memory lapse? I said, only 30 bars. <laughs> I said, how did you know? She said, I saw your head leaning to port. <laughs> I said, you know, why don't you? She said, yes, because you were listening to what the orchestra was playing so you could improvise in the style of Mozart around what they were playing. I said, that's exactly right. 
and I had to do that until I could come back to home base. What kind of feeling do you have when you're when that happens? Do you, do you very sit there, queasy? Is, is it, I just wonder if you're sitting there in a very, state of very queasy. a state of total terror, wondering am I ever going to get back? And it's not like you're playing with the Neil again, you know, where you can that's right. You can fool around a little bit, get caught up, and and who's to know? That sounds great. There's a wonderful story about Heifetz and Rachmaninoff giving a concert in Carnegie Hall. And Heifetz supposedly, I'm sure it's apocryphal, but it can happen. I mean, anybody can, can uh, you know, have a memory lapse. Uh, Heifetz wandered over to the piano, said to Rachmaninoff, in the middle of the performance, he said, where are we? <laughs> you know, in the piece, right? Where are we? Rachmaninoff said, in Carnegie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like that all, that all old joke, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Yeah. You know. Oh, well, do you remember Ronnie Graham? Ronnie? This, yeah, this comedian. Oh, Ronnie Graham. Yeah, yeah he was in a lot of Leonard Silman's New Faces. Yeah, yeah. that's sure, right. 1952, sure. I believe. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Well, anyway, he, um, he did a, 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 an impression of Harry the Hipster. And he said, this is a, an impression of, of Harry the Hipster. Gibson? You know, and he put a question mark on <laughs> Gibson. So then he, then he said... Uh, so this guy said, he said, oh, he said, stop that dancing up there. He said, he said I, I, I told him to stop that dancing, and they did. He said, then, then this guy was walking down the street, he said, and this cat came up to him and said, hey, man, uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? He said, practice, man, practice. <laughs> and he said, kept walking along the street, he said, and another guy came along, and I said to him, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Is a meow. He was a real cat, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. You've never really talked that that so-called hipster language. Once when I was doing a jazz show over at that other station, we'd mentioned once, and I think yeah. that's enough for the night. Yeah. Uh, I found that the people who who talked hipper, not the musicians, because I know it normally comes natural to you guys. Huh. But the but the fans the hipper they talked the less they knew about jazz. Oh, and it was isn't like a, that the truth? Oh my goodness, isn't that the <laughs> truth? You know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's like they wanted to be part of this in group. Well, we think you know the gentleman does protest too much. You know, <laughs> it coming on like a big. I you know I could mention people and I won't because uh, you know they might hear me although they're long since gone. But uh, it's really true. But the re I suppose the reason I don't, can you imagine, you know, uh, with an English accent, I say, man, I, I think that's an absolute guess. I, I really do. <laughs> it doesn't, I, so, I it doesn't that, sound all, all that think, odd, you doing I think that. Art, I think art really blows the most, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can't you leave it? Yeah, actually, people who talk with the British, this is this is an awful kind of generalization to make, but the British accent always makes guys seem, forgive me, a Stuffy. little kind of well, a little Stuffy. sissy actually. A little what? Kind of sissy. It's kind of a sissy accent, is it not? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not. No, I'm not accusing you of that. First obviously. of all, it depends upon what persuasion you happen to be looking for. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not talking about <laughs> sexual persuasion or anything of the type. Just the accent itself is so. To, to our mind, it's kind of dignified and so cultured yeah. Oh, yeah. that it doesn't seem really manly. Unless you use Cockney accent, like uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Michael 
Michael Caine, for example, right. when he gets a little oh, kind of yeah. cockney. Kind oh, of yeah. Stuff. You, you, you have lost your accent a little bit, but not really totally, considering all the years you've been here. Well, do you know what? My, uh, Ellie and I spend five months every, every summer in England. We, rented a, we rent the same cottage every year in the Cotswolds, and it's about, oh, maybe 100, 110 miles uh, northwest of London. Cows come right up to the door. Oh, yeah. And they went out there one day. I said, you guys are making some kind of racket out here. What do you think of Duke Ellington? You know, Norm? Yeah. They all moved in to go. <laughs> you know, that is the worst joke I ever heard. That's a, I've been to the Cotswolds, by the way. It is a, a said he trying to digress from that bad uh, joke. Uh, up at the Cotswolds, we stayed, I remember, at a be bed and breakfast place there once. And they, in fact, a couple of them. And the, the women who owned them all looked like Greer Garson. Oh. I thought it was kind of like a scene out of a Greer Garson Walter Pigeon movie, but it's magnificent, magnificent country. Did you ever think about going back and making your home permanently in, back in England? Talked about it quite a bit, and uh, I, I don't know. I think I've been over here too long to do that. Yeah, you've uh, been here longer than you, you know, ever were in England. I've been here longer than I've been in England. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Now, what happens now? You, 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 you're at the at Scholars, yeah. for people who don't know where that is, again, that's the Guest Quarter Suite Hotel, which is on Storrow Drive, which is where we are. You're right around the corner. It's a continuation of Storrow Drive, which I think confuses people. They're coming down Storrow Drive, and then you hit behind BU, if you're coming from Boston, it becomes... What's the name of the drive? Storrow Drive, yeah, as in uh, Sorrow with a T, oh. R or something. Anyway, and as you get beyond by BU... It, it turns into Soldiers Field Road, and we're just around the bend, and you're right, you're right there. Anyway, you're there till uh, Saturday, night. Saturday, night, Saturday night. Saturday night, Saturday night you do two shows, and that's it for the year, no? That's, that's you, well, that's for the, the year. Oh, yeah, I guess the year is pretty much gone. And then uh -huh. what, what happens? You have a chance to to take off Christmas time, or is that a bit? You take off Christmas, New Year's. Uh, I'm doing four. Concerts in Florida with Skitch Henderson, the Florida Symphony, in January. I go to the Blue Note in New York in February. And then early in April, Joe Williams and I go on a tour of the West Coast, about two and a half week uh, tour. Boy, that's fascinating. Now, I didn't know that Skitch Henderson was still in the music business. Oh, yeah. He conducts the what the Florida Symphony is that what you said? Uh, I he's I guess he's guest conductor there because what he really conducts is New York Pops. Really? Uh huh. He's the regular conductor <clears throat> of that. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And then then uh, I missed something between that and Joe Williams. You said something. Uh, we're going to the Blue Note. In oh, New the York Blue Note. In, in yeah. February. See, there's another club I didn't yes, realize was still. I haven't gotten to New York in so long. I forgot what exists. But as long as there's the Blue Note, and as long as there's Skitch Henderson, and as long as there's you and Joe Williams, it's kind of nice to have this stable note in a world of, of ever change. It's so comforting to have you around. I really, I really appreciate that. I think you'd like this. I had a call from Ruby Braff about three or four days ago. Did he yell at you a lot? No. As a matter <laughs> of fact, he was very mild. And he said, "I've been listening to your records, and I, 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 I won't, I won't quote it verbatim because if, 
If I do, the microphone will be on the floor <laughs> and I'll be out of the studio. But it said, in effect, he said, I've been listening to that Robert Farnan album you made for Tellon. And that thing that you did live at the Blue Note, I hear a rhapsody from Teller. And he said, you're really playing so darn well. He said, you don't really need to talk to anybody unless they offer you a lot of money. <laughs> That's funny. I'm going to tell you a Ruby rap story. Let's just take a little break for it. I won't call them a word, a word because they're, they're commercials is what they basically are. And then we'll talk some more with... George Shearing here on WBZ. Have you ever heard of a car being stolen with the club in use? You probably never will. No doubt you've heard of the club, America's favorite anti-theft device. The bright red club fits easily across the steering wheel and once in place makes the car undrivable. The club, the one police recommend as represented by fellow members of the Fraternal Order of Police, is effective, affordable, and guaranteed. See package for details. Chances are 1 in 114 that you or someone you know will have your car stolen this year. In 1991, vehicles were stolen at a rate of 3 per minute. So this year, don't let the holidays be an opportunity for car theft, especially yours. Still priced at under $60, the club, now available in designer colors as well, makes a great gift for every member of the family. They'll thank you over and over again. The club is available at better stores everywhere, but please be careful, accept no imitations. Make sure that the anti-theft device you buy says the club on the handle. And happy holidays from the makers of the club. Can you really afford the cost of a home security system? You'll need at least two exterior door protectors, an interior motion sensor, an interior sounder to help scare away the burglar, and a keypad to control everything. That could cost $395. But not when you call ADT. It's all just $195 installed, plus a monthly monitoring fee as low as $19.95. Call 1-800-982-3100 now and save $50 on annual monitoring. A one-time telephone connection required. ADT electronically monitors your home 24 hours a day. If anyone attempts to break in, emergency operators can notify the police. Call now for a free security review. There's no obligation. ADT has been guarding homes and businesses for over 100 years. Get this $300 value for just $195 and save $50 on annual monitoring. The offer ends soon. Call 1-800-982-3100 now. That's one 800 982-3100. Jim Brown of Grand Prairie, Texas, is telling us about his itchy chafing problem. There was an itching and irritation it, uh, and perspired quite heavily and caused a uh, uncomfortable chafing. But Jim Brown got relief using Triple Action Gold Bond Medicated Powder. Actually, the relief came the first time I used it. Uh, and it uh, does have a well, a cooling feel, uh, kind of like you've stepped into a breeze. Gold Bond's triple action is like three great powders in one. It has the absorbing action of powder, the medicating action of a proven itch fighter, and the drying action of zinc oxide. That's triple action Gold Bond. You're com more comfortable, you feel better, and have a better outlook, really, on everything. Gold Bond medicated powder. It's just a real good product. I've enjoyed using it. Try Triple Action Gold Bond Medicated Powder. Use only as directed. Available at Osco Drug. George Shearing is our guest here on the WBZ. Now, you were talking about uh, Rudy, Ruby Braff. Yeah. And when I was doing that all-night show, we were talking about uh, George Shearing. Ruby Braff 
who was, I don't know whether he's simmered down. I haven't talked with him for a lot of years, but he was a, kind of, he was a tough cookie. Great trumpet player. I loved the way he played, and I liked him personally. But he, one, one night he got on the air and he started talking about uh, George Ween. Oh, of yeah. course, the entrepreneur who does the Newport <laughs> Jazz Festival. Right. And at the time owned a couple of jazz clubs here in Boston, Storyville and the uh, Mahogany Hall, and, uh, where you played quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was saying nasty things about, about, about uh, George, George Wayne. Wayne. George pulled his car up around front of the studios where we were at the time and was challenging him, I think, to a fist fight on the, oh. on the street when Ruby came out. Now, neither one of these guys is taller than three feet. They're all, they're all little guys. Neither one in shape. George, especially, is a little chubby kind of guy. I don't know what ever happened, because I was still doing the program at the time, but I was that was reported to me later, and I thought <laughs> that must have been one of the funniest scenes oh, going. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the way you were describing Ruby, though, it sounds like he hasn't changed a whole lot through the years. Well, I think he's kind of mellowed a little bit because uh, although you, I, I, either that or he was trying to inveigle me into his camp. I don't know which. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, do, you, do you find, it seems to me every time I talk to a jazz musician, I say this because I'm hoping the answer will be yes. Do you find m more young people paying attention to jazz now because... The golden period of young people like in jazz college kids was the 50s and the 60s, and then during the hippie era, it kind of it kind of died off. Uh, are there more more young people coming to see you now? Do you think than say 10, 15 years ago? I would I would think there are more now. Yes, but you know the 50s and 60s didn't return because it's not returned to the colleges either, has it? Uh, no, it hasn't. I, I go because I like the, the other last last night. This when I went to see you, I took my uh, my my youngest daughter, who's twenty six, and has just developed, thank goodness, a great interest in jazz. Because she's the one who said, "Hey," she said, "George Shearing is coming to Scholars, take me there." And I oh, and I was really? so pleased, so pleased about that. Yeah, she's uh, she, every time she comes to our house. She tapes a lot of the the jazz things that I have, puts them on oh. cassettes so she can hear them in her car. Oh, she never great. would have done that uh, a year or two ago. I don't know whether maybe maybe she's an exception. Well, she is an exception, but I don't know whether that's true of a lot of other kids. Could we just take a break and we have news coming up, uh, oh. George? And then after that, I'd like to talk more. And if anybody'd like to talk to George Shearing, two five four ten thirty, our area code is. 617, we'd love to hear from you. Paul Grossi of Valley Stream, New York. When's the last time you tried Ovaltine? I just had a cup 20 minutes ago. I just had some lunch and I had a glass of Ovaltine. I have it in my hand right now, and I've been drinking it for years. Classic Ovaltine not only tastes good, it contains 10 essential vitamins and minerals, nutrients you won't find in Nestle's Quick or Hershey's. Try something that's refreshing and healthy for you at the same time. I would select Ovaltine. In fact, you know, you could have it hot or cold, you could have it with hot milk, or you could have it with cold milk. So it, it makes for a different kind of drink. Just two glasses of classic Ovaltine and milk provide almost 100% of the recommended daily allowance of B-complex vitamins, A, C, and D, plus other important nutrients the body needs for strong bones, strong teeth, good eyesight, and more. I hope more people get exposed to it somehow. Ovaltine is a great drink. That's the real reason I buy it. Great taste, and, and it has nutritional value. Aside from all that, it's also a fun drink. Classic Ovaltine. Tastes great, and it's great for you. Available in the nutrition section of Walgreens. While you're driving your car, we're driving 50,000 watts of power. 
News all day, every day. News Radio 1030 WBZ Boston. It's because we felt we were being hip doing this, we'd say, it's shearing your hearing. That we'd sit back content that we we were really about as sharp as you could be during those days. Remember I said I said that uh, if anybody wants to talk to George Shearing, give us a call. And I mentioned the number just once. Every line is lit up. You obviously, uh, as your wife Ellie says, uh, you either have fans or probably a whole lot of bill collectors <laughs> who've just been waiting to find out how, how they could reach you. Want to talk to some of the people, George? Surely. Why not? Okay. We'll try one and we'll see why not. Anyway, Bob in Boston. Hello, Bob. Hi, how are you? Okay, thanks. Mr. Sharing. Yes, Bob. I'm a fan, not a bill collector. Huh? I'm a fan, not a bill collector. Thank goodness. <laughs> Listen, Black Sat. Yeah? Are you familiar? Yeah. Do you yes. remember? Well, uh, Can you listen, remember that? Remember, remember the girl on the cover? Oh, she was I good. chose her myself. You know, I read Braille. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to let you know that there are a lot of people out there that really admire your achievement in music, your, your, your superior achievement. It's a shame that I got caught up in all this hokey-pokey that's going on in the world. We survived it, though, didn't we? Well, I, I mean, look, I don't want to sound like I'm discriminating, but, I mean, you had a, a style and a technique. He still does. You're talking well, about him no, like he's I, gone. No, but I, I mean, but, but no, listen, back, back in them days, all right, I mean, we were more relaxed, more into uh, good music. It was a more classy scene. We were, you know, we would dress up. We'd go out. An evening was an enjoyable evening. You know, we we didn't have to wear bulletproof armor and. Oh well, don't overdo it. You sound like the Boston Police pamphlet well, with Pierce. I, I don't mean to sound like that, but I'm just saying that there there are no places where you can go and sit down and listen. Not to it. that's not. You know, you've been out of it so long, Bob, but you're not speaking the truth. That's not so. Well, I just told you I, yesterday or uh, whatever day Thursday night was, because now it's, see, it's now on the Saturday, so I get confused. All right. But I took my, my daughter and I went to Scullers to catch George Shearing. Now, no, we didn't get mugged in the lobby. We went but down and got our car. Nobody held me up. I'm, you know, you're 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 really exaggerating. Let me go along, Bob, because you're you're living back in the fifties or sixties. A lot of time has gone by. Guys like you would starve to death if people had that attitude, like not knowing where you're playing and not daring to go out. That kind of stuff. That's kind of silly. I made my speech, and now we can get on with it. I feel so much better. Janet in Arlington. Hi, Janet. You're on WBZ. Hi, Mr. Shearing. I am a fan of yours. I love the music, and I have I'm all of your nice. records. Thank you. Uh, can I, I, let me just let me say one thing because I know who you are, and I was just telling uh, George off the off the uh, off the microphone off the air that uh, that I decided to take piano lessons again, and it was your husband that we were talking about. Is you this got competition here, Mr. Shearing? Oh. Yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm rotten, and if if you talk to less about it, Janet, mm -hmm. you know he's I mean he's he's one of the he's a he's he's patient. I'll be quiet, Miss, anyway, so you can talk to George. My favorites are with Mel Torme. There's just an absolute magic there, and I'm wondering, I've been waiting for another record to come out, and are you going to have another record with him? Well, uh, that's kind of as much Mel's decision as anybody else's. Uh, I'm ready. I hope he does. Yeah, I have so, too. And do you have any new releases? Yes, we have... Um, 
We have two. Uh, one came out uh, last year. It was uh, called uh, I Hear Rhapsody, and it was live from the Blue Note in New York. Mm-hmm. And our latest one came out in May of this year. It's called How Beautiful is Night. And the orchestra is arranged and conducted by a man who I wish were more well-known in, in the United States. He's very well-known in Canada and certainly in England. He lives in the Guernsey uh, area. His name is Robert Farnan. The wonderful, we call him the, the governor because he's really a, the best there is in terms of arranging in my side of the business. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for the music you give to us. Thank you for your interest. Bye. Hey, bye-bye, Jen. Matter of fact, I was talking about uh, Whitless, her husband, my piano teacher, about you the other day, Thursday morning. We talk about you quite often. And my mother would say, boy, your ears must have been burning. Anyway, here's Scott, who was in Provincetown. Right. Right, well, it's a real honor, Norm, to be able to talk to you and, and talk to Mr. Shearing. I, when you said that your daughter, uh, at, at 26, was enjoying the music, I, I want to let you know I'm 36, and certainly uh, Mr. Shearing's music's reaching uh, people my age. Um, one of my earliest memories of, of jazz was, uh, an, I guess, a late 50s, early 60s Capitol album that had Like Young on it. And uh, I think, and thinking, I, I hope you do more vocals. I know that on your album with... Carmen McRae, where you sing Two for the Road. It's just heartbreaking. Oh, aren't you nice? Thank you. I, um, I'm, I'm part of a volunteer radio station here in Provincetown. I have a jazz show Saturday nights. Oh, what's, the, what's the station? I think I did a, a, a yeah, thing on that station. You did, WOMR. WOMR. That, was that public radio? Uh, uh, community radio, right. Which community like, radio. We're two notches below college stations. But we're all volunteers on the air, but... Uh, your, your recordings are very popular on my program, and uh, the things with the King Singers and with uh, Carmen McRae, and of course with Mel Torme, and the Grand Piano album. Oh yeah. Uh, the, oh, where, you know my stuff, oh, don't you? Where you weave, it never entered my mind into, uh-huh. with the settee. That's right. Just beautiful. Oh, thank you. Just you know what? I, I really, I really uh, am pleased that you like my singing because the story goes that there's this man singing when Irish eyes are smiling, a house full of people, and there's a guy in the third row crying his eyes out. And so this Irish lady sitting next to him, oh, she said, she said, that's a lovely song, isn't it? When Irish eyes are smiling. (laughs) She said, it really warms your heart. She said, "You, you must be Irish. He said, no, madam, I'm a tenor. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never stop, George. For God's sake, will you stop? I don't mind you saying this on the bandstand at Scholars, but you're using my program with your bad jokes. Now, just stop it. (laughs) He's lucky he's lovable. You don't think think it's an improvement, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, you play piano so great and you tell such rotten jokes. I can't believe it. But he sings great. He sings, yeah, the fact that I was mentioning yesterday, he sang uh, Good Morning Heartache and uh, The Folks Who Live on the Hill, two two lovely songs. And uh, I kind of wished he'd sung more and played more because you, you played, I think, only a little over an hour. And I I kept saying, he owes us about three more hours before. <laughs> what bright has he got to leave the bandstand? Because well, we were enjoying you so much. 
Hey, Scott, thank you. What, what, is your sh what time is your show on? Uh, it's Saturday, 6 to 9 in the evening, and it's called Lush Life. And, it's, and the station again is what? WOMR 91.9 FM. Can you give us a How do you do your station breaks down there? Uh, I say uh, bringing you tunes from the dunes. This is Outermost Community Radio, WOMR 91.9 FM, Provincetown. Okay, so you've got a good plug. I appreciate it. The folks who are listening to us in Pennsylvania <laughs> and West Virginia will try to try to tune in. Well, we only have a thousand watts, but so you cover the Cape pretty well, or well, pretty much uh, to Orleans and sort of the north side of the Cape, and maybe to Plymouth. Well, you cover the good side of the Cape anyway, Don. That's right. You're talking Orleans and uh, and that and that uh, southern tip or whatever you call that right. part it, of it. We're sort of you know we're hand to mouth. We, we do about a $70,000 annual budget, but we, we're all volunteers on the air, but it's a lot of fun. Okay. Hey, good to talk with this guy. Same good luck to you. Thanks, Norm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah, I think they all work for, for free just for the fun of uh, doing shows down there. Let's take just a, a break for, the, for these words, and then we'll come back and, and take some more phone calls. 254-1030 is our phone number. 254-1030, area code is 617 and George Shearing is with us, and I'm delighted he is, and I know you'd want to talk to him, and we'll get to that in just a bit. Thank you. Um, George, I uh, just wanted to mention that I have uh, pleasant memories of you when you came to uh, Perkins School back during the late 60s, early 70s when I was a student there. And uh, it was really great to hear you were live doing one of your concerts in our auditorium. Oh, uh, right, right. Um, you did you study uh, music there? Ah, uh, well, uh, music was definitely one of the highlights yeah. of my uh, yes. my mm. career at Perkins. Yes, uh, not really a career actually, but my my studies there. I enjoy studying harmony and. Uh, What's your last name, Hank? Hmm? What's your last name? My last name. Yeah. Well, my last name is Asian. I don't know if I'm supposed to give that name on, on the air, but I don't know if that would sound familiar to you. But the question that I wanted to ask you. Um, obviously, one of my favorite songs, as is um, many people's favorite song, is uh, Lullaby of Birdland. And uh, in addition to your fine arrangement of it, I remember two others, one by the McGuire Sisters. Oh, I didn't one. hear that one. Pardon? I didn't never, I never heard that one. What's on their Best Of album, really? if you ever want to uh, uh -huh. take a look through All that. Right. I collect records, and uh, I collect, you know, nostalgia mm -hmm. records from the 40s and 50s and uh -huh. stuff like that. And that's on their Best of the McGuire Sisters album, yeah. if you ever want to check it out. And another one I'm wondering if you could tell me about, because it's a little bit better known. It was done by a French ensemble. They sang it completely in French. Are you familiar with that? Was it uh, the Blue Stars or the Something Star? Had to be that, yeah. We don't know. It was done, done yeah. by a chorus. Maybe Norm's familiar. Yeah, no, I am familiar. What what George says is right. It is and, the Blue Stars I, of France, and they did sing it in French. A yeah. great group, a really good group. And it was a group. big record for them. I'm right in saying that uh, uh, one of them is related to either Michel Legrand or... It, that sounds familiar. You know, I haven't. Yes. I used to play their stuff a lot, and I just, I cannot, I, I can't remember the names of the individuals. It's a wonderful record. arrangement. I've heard it from time to yeah. time on some of these. I can, I can hear them singing it in my ear, in my ear right now. They're very hip. Reminded me there were there were a few vocal groups that were particularly good during that period. Blue Stars was one. The High Lows was another one. People oh, yeah. who do very unorthodox, yeah. kind of singing, but they, I thought, I thought their version of your song was particularly good. 
Hank, do you remember uh, Ed Jenkins from uh, Perkins? Ed Jenkins, yes. Yeah. He was so a he very did. good friend of mine and yeah. uh, one of my favorite uh, music yeah. teachers. Is Stella, Stella is still with us, is she? His wife, do you know? I beg your pardon? Is uh, his wife still? His wife is, uh, I have not seen his wife for a long time. I yeah. know that Ed passed away. Uh, yes, I know Ed's gone. Um, I believe it was during the early, mid-70s. And do you remember another teacher there, Phyllis Paulson? Do you know that name? Phyllis Paulson. She is a sighted girl who learned enough Braille music to learn a concerto. What was her name it, again? Phyllis Paulson. P A U L S O N. Now that yeah. doesn't ring a bell, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, she was. Um, she she wanted to test her knowledge of Bra Braille music. <clears throat> So she learned a concerto in Braille to do that. Now, and, I tuned a little, bit, a little bit late, so I probably should know this, but I don't. Are you appearing in the Boston area right now? Are I'm you? at Scholars, and we close tomorrow night. Uh, two shows, 8.30 and 10.30. And Scholars is uh, in the guest quarters, guest uh, suite, uh, you know, quarters. Guest quarters. Yep, guest quarters suite hotel, hotel, yeah, which, as we mentioned, is the most cumbersome name for a hotel. And uh, you can catch, it's a lovely room, and uh, George plays, well, you, I don't need to tell you, plays well. And, uh, and where is that? Is that in downtown Boston? No, it's not. It's Well, it's it's on the outskirts. It's on Soldiers Field Road, oh. uh, in, uh, across the river from Cambridge, right right on the uh, uh, right on the Charles River. It's beautiful, what's beautiful What's the name spot. of it again? What's the name of it again? What's the place? You're going to have to pay more attention there. You, we, we've repeated everything three times for you. Scholars, Guest Quarter Suite Hotel. Okay. He's probably a friend of yours and making us repeat it just so we get a bigger <laughs> plug in. I, it's probably his game. Publicity, guys. Oh, yeah. very good. Okay. Okay, <clears throat> anyway, thanks for the call, thanks. Hank. Thank you, Hank. Nice to hear from you. Oh, here's Pete and Lawrence. Hi, Pete. Hi, Norm. Hello. Hello, George. Hi, Pete. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good. I'm another Perkins graduate. Are you? That's right. Mm -hmm. so and also, uh, I studied music there, too. Run into Ed Jenkins. I didn't have his classes, but when I took piano, which I uh, I left because I favored the accordion more. No, 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 uh, no insult to you, I hope. Well, uh, actually, I used to play the accordion. Did you? But you, but you notice you don't play it anymore. No. That ought to be a lesson to beat. Well, actually, <laughs> no, the reason I don't play the accordion anymore is because I found out that the true gentleman is a man who knows how to play the accordion and doesn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pete, did you, did you know a man named Henry Santos? In, uh, yes, I took under him. <laughs> I was wondering, when you didn't, when you didn't uh, study with Ed, I thought you might have studied with uh, Henry. That's right. Yeah, I did. Nice man and a good player. I know it. He was. He is. is. I, is he still with us? I believe he's still around, but yeah. he's not. He's not at Perkins anymore, though. No, no. Yeah. And uh, that's Phyllis Paulson you mentioned. I don't remember her either. Yeah, she. Uh... Either she was there after me or before me. Maybe she never existed, George. Maybe she's a <laughs> a kind of a fantasy woman of your life who never really existed in reality. I like Ooh. to make stories like that. It makes <laughs> life more interesting. <laughs> hey, Pete, thanks a lot for calling. Good to hear from you. 
it's kind of interesting. We were kidding about the accordion. Actually, I can think of two or three uh, really good jazz accordion players. Well, uh, Art Van Dorn, isn't it? Uh, Art Van Dorn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, who did Orange Colored Sky and all that, was on the Jerry Lester late night show. And then you remember a guy named Leon Sash? Yes, 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 I do. And I, he recorded a, a fine album, which I, I may still have at home someplace. Yeah. There was also another, another couple of guys who played... Tommy Gamina. Yeah. And there was another one. Joe Mooney. Did he play? I don't remember him. Did he? I know he had, oh, a, yeah. he had a group, I know. He played accordion, yeah. too. Sure. Yeah. Because but, but, when you think of accordion, very often you think of guys like Dick Contino, who played yeah. Lady of Spain Lady of really Spain. fast on a white yes. accordion. Mm. And that'll turn you against accordion players <laughs> faster than anything I know. Our, our Lady of Spain. Yeah. <laughs> our, that's right. Our Lady of, that's right. our Lady, our Lady of Spain. <laughs> are there... Are there uh, I mean, this is this this sounds really. It sounds like a stupid question, but I, but but you'll give me a very bright answer and get me off the hook because I really care to know about people that you listen to that you enjoy. Do they do you, do you get a chance to listen to very much music? There's a man in New York who I believe taught up here in Boston. His name is Fred Hirsch. H e r s c h. You know, he's a, a pianist? Yeah, wonderful pianist and a wonderful writer. Yes, in New York City. And um, Ellie, my wife Ellie, is a classical singer. Really? So we had uh, Fred come up and we pulled out some German leader. And you thought those guys had been together all their lives doing it. It was, it was wonderful. And uh, Ellie said it was a pleasure to sing with him because he was a very sensitive accompanist. Then he'll turn around and play jazz. Would, would would it be okay? I don't know. I'm getting your permission. That's huh? ridiculous. This is huh? a day of what? women's lib and all. I, I wanted to talk with Ellie just for a little I bit. Wish you before would. I've been hitting about... at it all night. Oh, okay, <laughs> Ellie, I'm, I'm awfully glad. I didn't realize you were a classical singer also. Oh, yeah. How did you and George meet? Well, I was somebody else's date at a Christmas party at his house. Really? Yes. Uh, I studied at the American Conservatory in Chicago. Um, and uh, one of my colleagues was also eight years old. We go back that far. And uh, he was teaching in Southern California, and I was doing session work. I was doing uh, movie soundtracks, and uh, anyway, we always kept in touch. He was kind of like my big brother, and he called up one time, and he said, uh, would you like to go, uh, would you like to have Christmas dinner at George Shearing's house? Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> That's and right. I, and so we went, and George was expecting, you know, bless him, uh, he's gay, and uh, George just thought he'd have his friend with him, and I was his friend. <laughs> 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 and uh, we were sitting at dinner, and um, George was sitting at the end of the table, and I was to his right, and to my right was Leonard Feather of the New York of oh, the sure. LA Times, yeah. and uh, my date Russell was across from me, and his mother who could. He, she was always with us. Uh, was next to him. I detect hostility there. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I, I, I hate to do this. Just at the break for news again. I'm sorry. It's the network, and they, they won't hold up. Just hang on just a little bit longer, because I want to talk to you just a little bit more. Would that be okay with you? Sure. Yeah. You know something? You guys are okay. You're my kind of people. George and uh, Ellie Shearing, and we'll be back right after the news. Smart move, New England. You've made the right choice. WBZ, New England's best for over 72 years.
Now, here's WBZ's Jack Hart. Well, thank you, Daryl. We are still dealing with some very wet roadways. We understand it is raining like the Dickens out there, so do drive with extreme care. Visibility will be poor, and we've heard some minor slipping and sliding situations occurring and thankfully clearing up quickly. Do watch out for them with that uh, decreased visibility that's going to make it extra tough. If you're traveling in the downtown area, lower deck of Route 93, Tobin Bridge heading into the city, Expressway northbound and southbound, all doing well. Before long, the taverns and establishments in the Boston area will close their door and let loose their patrons on the roadway. So do be extremely careful then. I'm Jack Hart, WBZ, 24-hour traffic network. Piano player from with a British accent who claims he's from from uh, the Cockney part of England. <laughs> anyway, George Shearing. I am Elliot. from the Cockney part of England. <laughs> I don't. That's probably not even the right way to phrase you it. Believe me, I'm from the Cockney part of England. <laughs> You're adorable. You know that, George. I can see why Ellie. It must have been, must have been love. The first first time she looked at you. You were telling me about. Listen, the... it wasn't love at first sight with me because it never been at first <laughs> no, sight with me. That was when I was going to say love at first sight. I said, God, don't say that because he's going to do a bad joke. I, I know he will do a bad joke on that. Anyway, you were telling me how you were, you were at a friend's house and you were. And no, it was at George's house. Oh, you were. This is. Oh my good. Oh, that's right too. That's yes. right. That's right. How can you pass she up was an in invitation my house to with go a to George's? Now, did George make a pass at you or anything? Oh, we didn't see. No, he was very married, and I was going with somebody else, and I did not need a married man in my life. So we did not see each other for two years. We really, you know, yeah. impressed each other. Well, what happened after two years? Uh, either one of you can pick up the story because you're both wonderful storytellers. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pick <laughs> up this one because okay, uh, I'll pick up this one because we started dating, and we found ourselves at a at a Christmas party in Bob Hope's house and by this time Ellie and I had uh, commenced our living together which started in 1975 and we were at this party at Bob Hope's house and Bob got to find out about it I guess Ellie must have told him and so he said to Ellie Ellie do you mean to tell me that you're living in sin. <laughs> Ellie said, no, of course not, in San Francisco. I mean, she's as fast as I So oh. her, her sense of humor, you, you, what you're suggesting, is similar to your own? You, yeah. don't mind, you don't mind what you do to your wife, do I've you? Got, well... <laughs> you don't mind what kind of an insult uh, you throw that uh, We'll wait for the commercial on that one. Uh, no, um, uh, Ellie, I want you to t tell him the story about the lady in the elevator, because uh, this is a real prize, Norm. Uh, this is a true, true story. True story. Happened mm -hmm. last week. Uh, our building in New York always has a Christmas party. And people don't know each other in these high rises in New York. I don't know who's living. I don't know the lady next door to us. So they have this little Christmas party, and people can go down in the lobby and have a drink and a cocktail, uh, a, little, a little nibbly or whatever. And George always, uh, they asked, the board asked George if he will play. So they bring in a Baldwin piano, and George plays for about a half an hour, and everybody shuts up and listens. And then they go on and they talk, and they meet their neighbors, and da-da-da-da. So December 16th, they've invited him again to do this. Last week, I got into an elevator, and this woman got on on a lower floor. I had never seen her before. She walked in, she looked at me, and she said, are you Mrs. Shearing? 
And I said, yes. She said, will your husband play promptly? And I said, I don't think he knows that tune. Because <laughs> you have a few bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't think he knows that tune. It went over her it head. Went right over her head. <laughs> and she said, well, because I have three parties to go to. And I, w I went back upstairs and I said, George, I guess. I guess one knows who the hired help is. <laughs> I said, I wish I'd have heard her say it. I said, why don't you lie down and let me wipe my feet on you for a time? <laughs> hey, tell me, now, tell me, Ali, about... Uh, uh, th there's no rivalry between the two of you, is there, for, for careers and not. stuff? There's no. one, one star in the family, and she knows it. I, mean, I know, yeah. darling, but I mean, you'll get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you've done this act before. We're going to have to build you into Catch a Rising Star or something. Anyway, you, you, have, you, do, uh, you are on the Frank Sinatra album, right. the trilogy. Right. Uh, as part of the chorus. They hired 16, what they call backup singers. And I was one of them. And uh, George and I are both Leos. But uh, now, when is that? What what uh, what, what month? That's August. August. Okay. I'm the 13th, and she's the 22nd. Right. And uh, I just want to say, Norman, that I I was the first one in the family to work with Frank Sinatra. This guy's just left in the dust. He's I only know. worked with Mel Torme. Is that I a know. step? No, no. That's no. that's that's pretty much a, she a came, lateral pass. She though. came home in the session. She said, "Guess who it was with." Did you actually work with him, or did you just lay down the track and then he came in? No, no, no. Was he right there? No. When when I got the call from from the contractor, uh, she said, "Be down at Webster, you know, Hall at such and such a time." And I said, "Fine." Who's who are we recording with? She said, "I'm not going to tell you." <laughs> so I had no idea. So off I went, and I got out of the cab, and I saw all these guys standing around, and um, I walked in, and I saw all these music stands, and I thought. Wow, big orchestra. And as I was walking in, I saw on one of the stands, one of the lead sheets, and it said, Sinatra. And I thought, be still, my heart. <laughs> 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 and uh, there, and sure enough, and he likes to work in with the orchestra. He doesn't want to be isolated. He doesn't want to be in a booth. And he was right there. Don Costa was conducting. Mm. And the, the orchestra, he was standing right in the center, right by Don Costa, with a microphone in his hand. And we were lined up just behind the orchestra in the same big, it was a big studio. And uh, there we were. And I came home and I could hardly wait to tell George because I knew I had been the first one in the family. Now give me my day in the sun, baby. What happened two days later? I forget. <laughs> All right, I'll tell it myself. You forget. <laughs> the phone rang in my office. And I went out to the kitchen after I got off the phone. And I said, how long were you with Frank? Oh, she said, we did two sessions. I said, would you believe two weeks? She said, what? I said, yeah, we're playing in Carnegie Hall with Sinatra for two weeks. Well, this is why she didn't want to tell you. Oh, so you, you actually did... Oh, so yes, you, you I said did. You, you worked with him the first, Ellie. The male Leo but, uh, is, always has been, and always will be, slightly superior to the female Leo. But other, mean, otherwise, there's no rivalry, as I had asked you about. No, but there's no rivalry between the two of you. <sighs> you, did, you. You worked with Sinatra for two weeks live, then, in, yep. in performance. He was okay. live, I wasn't. Now, um, did, did, no, bo no. Did, did both of you uh, get to know him well enough to form opinions, and are they the same? Um, we went to dinner with him. 
Really? Barbara. Yeah. Right. At the Copley Plaza. And you're mentioning Bob Hope, all these, their yeah. name's almost as big as George and Ellie Shearer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, can I tell you a quick story? Oh, sure. Slow story, too, if you the, like. The, the, uh, the, the, Do it promptly, though, and I'll hum a few, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I, George, right. the proximity of George is making me do bad jokes. I'm sorry. But the Sinatra we know, after we had both worked uh, with him, now segue maybe six months, and it, came, it was my birthday time. And when we came home from a tour, in our foyer was a bag, uh, of a Saks Fifth Avenue bag. And I thought, maybe I had ordered something before we went off on tour, and it had arrived. So I looked in it, and there were two boxes. And I unwrapped one. And in it was a large, I mean large, bottle of a, a, a cologne that Barbara Sinatra had introduced me to. It's called Fracas. Fracas. And I thought, oops, I didn't order this. I mean, I couldn't afford it. And so I thought maybe George had gotten it for me for my birthday. So I said, George, did you send me something from Saks Fifth Avenue for my birthday? And he said, no. And I thought, oh. He said, I, so I opened up the other bo box, and there was a huge bottle of the perfume. Then I knew. One cologne and one perfume. Yeah. Then I knew I hadn't ordered it. And he said, well, is there a card? And I, I, I said, yes. And so I opened the card, and it said, Ellie, dear. We're very sorry we can't make it to your birthday, but have a wonderful day. Love, Barbara, and blue eyes. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, I don't understand this. And he said, well, read it again. And I did, and I, I got down to Barbara and blue eyes. Wow. And I said, oh, this is a gag. Somebody's, somebody's playing a gag on me. And he said, no, I don't think so. And he, so I looked on, there was a card from Saxon Avenue, the, the sales lady. Well, it was a Saturday, and I had to wait till Monday to call, and I did, and I got her on the phone, and I said, this is Mrs. George Shearing, and I said, I received some perfume from, and she said, yes, from Frank Sinatra. She said, I took the order. Uh. He did send it to you. So that's the Frank that we know. The same Frank that took, took care of Sylvia Sims' very, very complex operation when she had it. Oh, really? Yeah, I am tired of the media denigrating Frank Sinatra because that's not the Frank Sinatra I know. No, but, but, but even in the media, though, you hear a lot of stories about the kinds of things that you, you guys are talking about, that he is a very considerate, very special They're kind very of friend who, who, who They're does that. They're underplayed no. by comparison with the other stuff. I guess so. The other stuff is more flamboyant, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And maybe it's a reflection on all of us that we like to hear nasty things that's that's much more fun to hear than good things but i do i do hear hear that and i never met sinatra but i do hear the fact that he's very considerate and very kind and does the kind of but that's really nice to be the recipient of that kind yeah. of kindness yeah. Yeah. is something very very special mm -hmm. you guys are okay well do you, do you know do you know how attractive ellie is by the way george can oh, you yes. tell yes because somebody oh. told me once yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and I uh, some, some some guy in Harvey, Illinois, probably. Uh, you know her, how they her are. Brother, there. Her brother. <laughs> he wanted me in the family. <laughs> what, now, what movies have you done, Ellie? Uh, my first uh, soundtrack was Finian's Rainbow. 
with uh, Petula Clark and uh, Fred Astaire. And this, oh, I, I don't mean to talk so much, but I've got a great story. When I, when I was a little kid, I mean really little, like three, four and five years old, I was absolutely in love with John Wayne. I mean, he was the greatest thing since Dick Candy for me. <laughs> and my very closest girlfriend also was in love with him. But so when we would go to school in, in the morning, whoever said first when we met to walk to school, I love John Wayne, got to love him that day. And then the other one had to take Richard Green. <laughs> well, I remember Richard Green was a really oh. good-looking guy. Oh, wasn't was he, 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 he with the big dimples? He yeah. played Robin Hood, didn't That's he? That's right. And all That's that right. stuff, yeah. Oh, he was wonderful. But anyway, now I'm going to do, I get, get on the lot, Warner Brothers lot. This is my first movie. And I walk over to the soundstage, and we do the first set. And now we break for lunch. And I'm standing outside the soundstage, and we're about to go to the commissary, and who's coming down the walk but John Wayne. And my, I really, my knees started to buckle. I thought, oh my gosh, here he is. And then I saw him, and he had a bit of a paunch. <laughs> I'm and, sorry. You know, and it was all over. It was all over. I call my dearest girlfriend. I mean, this must be 20, 20 years later, right? I called her that night, and I said, when she said, hello, I said, you can love John Wayne. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think Richard Green did not have a paunch? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to find out. <laughs> but it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be like me finding Sophia Loren, who I've been desperately in love with for years, had bad breath or something. <laughs> yeah. that, 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 but, but even a little paunch, I mean, you, you, yeah. you must not have really loved the guy. It must have been... Infatuation. Oh, oh well, infatuation. <laughs> Let's see. I also did um, Hello, Dolly. Yeah, with Carol Channing? No, with uh, with Barbara Streisand. Oh, Barbara Streisand. I'm thinking yeah. of the play. Yeah. And, and Star, you did, didn't you? Yes, Star, with, uh, with um, Julie Andrews, I think. Yes, yes. yes. And, I, and on a clear day with Streisand. Yeah. And uh, did you did you get to to see all these people that oh, you're sure. talking about? Oh sure. Because I didn't know whether the course you just again you did the uh, well sometimes recorded it without ever getting to meet the stars of the uh, show. Yeah, you right. did. Uh, oh sure. Oh sure. And I remember uh, seeing Fred Astaire when we walked in that soundstage, and he was over in the corner, practicing. He had his hands in his pocket, and he had one of those neckties tied around his waist, and he was just kind of going over some dance steps and every eye was on him because he he, he there was something about him the way he oh he said you know he said congress i always felt that there are certain people in the world congress should pass some kind of legislation making them into national historical shrine so they never die that's true. and certainly you'd put the fred astaire right at the top of the list and he never even had a paunch no <laughs> he never he had hardly any skin at all as well the guy was so thin but yeah. it's kind of interesting. Was he was? He, I, I was thinking the super superstars always surprise you in the sense that they rehearse a lot and they're never quite, you know, never quite quite done rehearsing. Is that true of you, George? Do you do you do you ever you you play so much publicly? Do you practice also on the side at all? No. <laughs> there no. goes there uh, goes my whole theory uh, right down the toilet. <laughs> well, uh, when I did the. Uh, Claude Bowling album, which I spoke to about earlier on, 
I had to because I had a lot of memorizing to do and a lot of fingering to prepare and all that stuff. So I, I, then I did. But what am I going to do, sit down and practice jazz? Maybe I should, I don't know. But the thing is, uh, jazz is the result of, you know, spontaneity and you don't want to practice and get certain phrases into your head because uh, that's what you'll use and it's okay, but uh, it doesn't sound the same as pulling them out of the back of your brain. No, that's true, but I thought maybe just limbering up your fingers or something. Can you sit at the piano cold without having been at the piano, say, like the, the early performance where you I'll haven't go. played since the night before? I'll just go. sit there and, and it goes. I'll, go. I'll ask I'll Ellie. I, I direct a question at you. Thank you. Sir. Yes, ma'am. He can fall out of bed and go right on stage and play. Yeah. There was almost a divorce. How's that? Because... Uh, before we left San Francisco, we were going to do a benefit for our church. And uh, this guy who, uh, with whom I showed up at his Christmas party, he was my West Coast accompanist. So I, he was going to, the program ran, I was going to do some leader. And then Russell was going to do some classical stuff. Then intermission. And then George Shearing. And we had been on a cruise before then, and I'd been rehearsing. I mean, we classical singers have to rehearse and we have to memorize. I mean, we just don't fall out of the bed like, you know, some of these jazzers do. <laughs> and, well, uh, so that's a question right there of, of, uh, of, 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 you know, superiority of talent or something. I don't, mm, mm, yeah, mm, carry on with you. Mm, yeah, I don't mm. <laughs> anyway, we were going to do this, this, uh, uh, this benefit, and I was working on it for weeks. And then when we got home, I rehearsed with my accompanist. And I said to George, now this is about four days before the concert. I said, what are you going to play? And he said, well, I don't, I don't know yet. So now it's two days before the concert and I have another final rehearsal with my accompanist. And I said, okay, what are you going to want? I, well, I haven't really quite decided yet. We go to the church on the day of the concert and we're taking, doing a sound check. And on the, way to the con on the way to the church, I said, um, George, what are you going to play? He said, well, I, I've kind of got it together, but not quite. Now, Norm, it's the day of the concert. And we are driving through the church, and I said, okay, George, what are you going to play? He said, I'm almost, I said, George. So it was a very informal concert so he was sitting in the front pew listening to me and to, to Russell and now we changed places and we're back in the office and uh, during intermission and the people are filing back into the church and it's George you know I said George it's your turn next what are you going to play well I've, I've just about so I he went on and I had done some things uh, the Rachmaninoff vocalese and all of a sudden, I hear from George. The vocalist Rachmaninoff is da da dee, da 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 dee, da da da. And so I turned it into da da dee, da da dee, da da dee, da da. Love is a splendid money splendid. Oh yes, 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 yes. And all of a sudden, the nickel dropped, and I knew why he couldn't tell me what he was going to play because <laughs> Russell and I had had planned his program. He took everything that we did 
and did a takeoff on it and brought down the house. Oh, I could have killed him. Oh, could, did, were you really angry? <laughs> no, could, could you admire his showmanship? Oh, I I, it sounds like a, it sounds like a fantastic thing, which probably hardly anybody could do. No, except this guy. No. I I think that's fantastic. He sat there and listened to what what our program was, <laughs> and then just. Over the thing. She's gonna kill me with frustration. <laughs> oh, what a boy! I wish, boy, I wish I were there. Boy, that must have been a that must that have been so thrilling. That was yeah, fun. it was crazy. Yeah. 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 Hey, you guys. Yeah. To have you on the program. We're gonna do time. it. We're gonna go to bed. Yeah. Well, then I, I uh, you won't even be able to stop for, for to get something to eat. Normally, you do that after a performance, do you not? No, oh, we maybe don't, we don't eat after the performance. Well, singers do. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Is there much conflict well, between a singer I, and a pianist? I don't since I've been a singer. That's true. I, I <laughs> That's right. We have a singer right That's here, too. Right. That's yes. true. And he mm -hmm. sings very well. Yes, he does. He sings. I, 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 I just a, I have to ask you this. Again, as a, a fledgling pianist myself, imagine a fledgling pianist at my age. Hmm. But I was thinking as you, as you, you were singing and you accompany yourself, that that seems to me to be totally impossible, especially you're, you're doing runs and all kinds of nice fill-in things as you're singing. I would think you'd have to concentrate on that Do or you know concentrate on your singing. Do you I know mean, what goes through my mind? Yeah. I live momentarily in the fantasy world of imagining myself being able to magically produce an orchestra with strings and woodwinds and all that stuff. And I'm totally unconscious of the fact that I am actually playing, uh. but that I am somehow willing this accompaniment that's going through my head, which is why I can get all these changes and these tone colors and everything and sing at the same time. Oh, I think that's... It I does that's, take some coordination. Oh, it takes tremendous... Saying. As as uh, as my own piano teacher says, it's <laughs> playing the piano. You're playing like two languages at once because you get both hands going, and then you're singing on top of that. So that's three. It's like juggling. Hey, I I want to anyway. I, it, it's been a great pleasure, George. I appreciate you introducing me to your wife. She and I plan to run away first thing in yes, the morning. I, I do understand. <laughs> You, uh, uh, I thought, steal, I thought blind, you steal the blind man's girl, would you? <laughs> All right. okay. Oh, don't, 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 don't hit me with that. Don't do that. Don't do that to me. Anyway, Ellie and George, thanks a million. Thank I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. Well, and you've just given me an opportunity to say hello to all my friends in Harvey, Illinois. Thank okay. you, Norm. Okay, and Scholars, <laughs> Scholars Guest Quarter Suite Hotel, Storrow Drive, actually on Soldiers Field Road end of it. Storrow, uh, is that close to Mono Drive? I'm not going to even respond to that. <laughs> and just behave yourself or I'll slap you right in the face. <laughs> 8.30 and 10.30 uh, Saturday night, the last two chances to get George. Does your baby oh, suffer no, no. from red, irritated diaper rash? It was more like a gutted type um, diaper rash. Makes you feel awful. You know, want to do something to help him, make him more comfortable. Skip it right now. But we'll go to Bob, my friend Bob Coffey, who's up in New Hampshire, who does the jazz show. Up in, I guess you still are doing the jazz show, are you, Bob? Yes, Norman. How are you? Good, thank you. You probably wanted to talk to George, and I never got to you. Uh, Norm, I could go out and eat worms right now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds awful. Well, I, I don't know. I, I called about, I don't know, I guess it was about seven minutes or two, and I, and I knew I was very close. I did. I just got home from doing a fill-in gig at WEVO 
And they were jazz on Friday nights. And I was, W-E-V-O, you know, where in New Hampshire uh, is that? That's the New Hampshire Public Radio. Public Radio, and what is the frequency? Uh, oh, they got all kinds. Uh, 90.3 in one town, 105.2 in another. I mean, it, they're all over the state. I, I, I forget them. The 90.3, I know. Oh, yeah, 89.1. Uh, 89. Uh, so the, the gig that you did then was over a number of radio stations. Oh, well, it's a, they're transmitters. Throughout the state of New Hampshire, I get you. Yeah, it's you know it's like uh, what, uh, uh, what's his name? Norm, not Norm. <laughs> oh God, I can't think of his name. Delacieza. Oh, Delacieza. Yes. Yeah, yes. you you have trouble with the first name too, huh? Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, that was the kind of a thing. And uh, like I say, I was uh, I was t- picking up the show as I'm coming home from there. It's in Concord, and I live about 35 miles away. Uh, and I wanted so I, well. Let me. Bend your ear for whatever it's worth. And first of all, how you doing? <laughs> you managed to sneak that in, eh? Yeah, I'm not doing just fine, thank you. All right. Uh, always, always a pleasure. In fact, uh, I said if I don't do anything, I have to stay on here to uh, speak to the man who's been so nice to me so many times over the years and also has soothed my soul with his music for so many years. I know. Well. It, you know, it's kind of nice. I was, I was kidding about one thing, but, I, but really not kidding because I'm quite serious about that. In an ever-changing world, it's nice to know that George Shearing is still around, making pretty sound. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I don't know if I, I ever pointed out to you, but I have have been off and on a dues-paying musician, a uh, member of ASCAP and stuff like that. No, I there. didn't. I didn't know that. I know that. I know that you're on radio and all oh, that. Oh God, I did about fourteen jingles for Jordan Marsh at one time. No, but, hey, uh, you're okay. What do you know? What do you play? I, I play, as they say, keys. Oh, uh, do you? Yeah. And, Not uh, even keyboard anymore. Now it's down to keys. Well, you know, anything that, that, that it's like a keyboard. I mean, you lay your hands on it, you play keys. Mm. That kind of fact. The fact you were talking about singing and playing the piano and so forth. Well, I'll go you one better. I play a left-handed bass plus play the piano on the right hand and sing at the same time. <laughs> and then if somebody has the nerve to come up and say, what's the next song you're going to play? And then you try to talk in rhythm to them or something like that. Anyway. Yeah, I know that's it. You mean they, they come up to you while you're performing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, what, what I wanted to point out was that, uh, and why I wanted to speak with uh, George so urgently, uh, Naturally, I come across an awful lot of his music in uh, doing the jazz thing. Uh, and I've been following, and in fact, he's an influence on the way I play the piano for whatever it's worth. But uh, he was a guy that really incorporated so-called block chords. You know, you, you, know, you play two-handed, you play melody uh, with your little finger way up top, and you double the melody with the thumb of your left hand, and it turns out to be a block chord and so forth. But this is what he specialized in at one phase of his playing, particularly in the uh, late 40s and then... Uh, uh, 50s when he could go on with the quintet. Mm. Uh, I wrote a song for him, and I don't know if you ever noticed, uh, but Lullaby Birdland goes from uh, minor to major, okay? It was the first part. And then it goes into major. That's the way the thing goes. Okay, well, I did a tune for him in which I went from minor to major as well. And this out of tribute to him, so to speak, and I call the thing, let's hear it for George. And I wanted to hum it for him in the worst way. Oh, I'm <laughs> he, sorry. Uh, well, I'm anyway, so sorry. I, I still may get a chance because he is that nice a guy. Uh, there was one year in which he had, oh, I guess, two or three releases out at the same time, and he became aware of the fact that I was probably one of a number of stations playing his stuff. And he sent me a personalized postcard, uh, not, uh, excuse me, Christmas card. 
and uh, I, I was just, uh, you know, dissolved by the fact that he would take the time and trouble to do that. So uh, well, he's, he's basically is a very nice man. He's changed not at all since, you know, since I used to talk to him way back in the fifties. Mike, mm. you know, I, I keep reminding myself how long ago that was. Oh yeah. Now he's still he's, he's still talking to him today. Is like. He's like talking to him back then. He has not changed at all. Mm -hmm. He's a very decent man. And his wife, by the way, is a, what a nice lady she yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than decent. Wasn't that just so darn entertaining? And George adding the slap and reaction just before the mic shut off. Laugh out loud funny. What a treat that they were willing to stay and take calls. You can hear that Norm, George, and Ellie clearly enjoyed each other's company. I hope you think about becoming a patron to support the show. The link to Patreon is below. Whatever you want to give is appreciated. It is charged monthly, so as little as a dollar a month. If you want to give more, you can always adjust the amount. And I will donate a percentage to the Norm Nathan Scholarship Fund at the Berklee College of Music here in Boston. Until the next broadcast treasure is discovered. Closing the vault and leaving this world a little sillier than we found it. For Parker Brothers. Carol Stein Kraus, Trivial Pursuit, Monopoly, Snardvark, Ernie Kovacs, The Guest Quarters Suite Hotel, Scullers, Sue Auclair, The Blue Note, New York, Neil Swanson, WOMR and their Tunes from the Dunes, especially The Lush Life Jazz Show, The Blue Stars of France, Norm's Piano Teacher, Wes, Phyllis Paulson, Accents, George and Ellie Shearing, Silly Jokes, Fred Hirsch, Christmas Parties at Bob Hope's House, The Lady in the Elevator, Bob Coffee in WEVO in New Hampshire, Battling Ruby Braff and Lean George Ween, Frank and Barbara Sinatra, Daryl Gould, Jack Hart, and the jazz-tastic Norm Nathan, I'm Tony Nesbitt.